Hey everyone, hope you are great in this crazy COVID-19 times that we live in. Um, Just a couple of quick messages before we start the podcast. If you like what we're doing on this show and like the messages that we're putting out there, um, we would love it and really appreciate it if you could jump down and do us a small favor and leave us a quick five-star review and some kind words. Five stars if you think we're good, of course. But if you don't think we're good, Don't even bother going down there. We don't want you. No, just joking. Um, We love you too. Keep listening. Uh, But what it actually does if you leave that review for us and and give us some stars is it helps us to push up the ranks through the podcasting services, iTunes, etc. And get exposure to more people inevitably helping us to get the message out there and help as many people as we can um, because we get more exposure. So that would be awesome if you could help us out with that. Um, we also run a treatment program for anyone struggling with addictive patterns called connection-based living. Now, just quickly, um, this is actually a really different way of coming at addiction treatment um, and is basically my life's work over smashing my life to bits through addiction and also you know, running some of the biggest treatment centers in Australia um, and working in the addiction treatment space Um, for many, many years now, uh, we've put together a program that actually helps people to get long-term results because there's a lot of stuff out there that doesn't. Um, It is really different because, uh, yeah, we do help people to get recovery without going to rehab. Um, And, you know, we use uh, biohacking and lots of different stuff to help you not only deal with the psychological and emotional side of addiction, but actually reset and fix your biochemistry as well, which is incredibly important for long-term results. So if that sounds of interest to you, head to our um, website, www.connectionbasedliving.com.au. And we do a number of things where you can book in a free recovery strategy consultation with us. um, And we'll go through and create an exact plan for you to get some results in your life with recovery um, and also tell you a little bit about the program as well. So um, if that's of interest to you, that's www.connectionbasedliving.com.au and let's jump into the show. Boom. Welcome, everybody, to another uh, episode of Real Drug Talk. Now, I always start with I'm excited, but today I'm doubly, triply as pumped. We've got a couple of uh, world firsts uh, today, Uh, one being our first international guest, which I'm excited about a little bit, um, (laughs) just a little bit. And the the other being, I was just explaining to, uh, to, do you like Tom or... Or do you Thomas, or do you roll yeah, with Thomas? Thomas. Yeah. Thomas, so yeah. so we've got we've got Thomas Delaney with us from the UK, which I'm pumped about, and I found him on social media, and he's doing heaps of good stuff. How are you, mate? Uh, yeah, really good, thank you. Really good. Awesome, man. Awesome. And the second uh, world first that we have going on, I can't fucking believe it. I was saying to Thomas before 
we started recording. Um, here in here in Melbourne, Australia, wherever mm. you're listening from, we're in uh, stage four coronavirus lockdown. So we're um, on curfew where we have to be in, inside, uh, you know, before all the, the limit is eight. At 8 p.m., everybody has to be inside, no excuses. Um, and you're only allowed out for an hour and a day and an hour a day. And we just rescued a dog, as everyone's heard about. Um, and she's beautiful, but she's going off. She's going off, getting used to a new environment. She's quite loud when she barks. So I'm actually in the fucking car <laughs> recording this podcast, which I think is pretty cool. I'm talking to someone <laughs> overseas in the car um, with a virtual background behind. So you can't even tell what's going on. So anyway, it's all, it's all happening, but um, how are you, mate? Are you, are you, um, how are you feeling about, you know, I always, I'm always interested to know how people are about like telling their story. How are you feeling about talking about it publicly? Have you, have you talked about your story publicly much before? <laughs> yeah, I have. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, I don't know. I always get a little bit, I think apprehensive or, a little bit of nervous, like a little bit of nerves before I before I talk, um, and it's not it's not really that I'm like, I talk all the time. I talk probably far too much as it is, but I don't have um, I don't have problems with talking. It's more the things that I talk about because when I talk about my story, I, I sort of relive um, a lot of those moments. And although yeah. I'm like almost uh, I'll be two years clean in November, and it's like it doesn't get any easier. Like it, yep. it doesn't. Really, like some aspects of my story is easier to manage and it's easier to deal with and talk about because I've built those relationship, uh, relationships back up with my family, for example, or friends. Um, but some people I haven't. So when I talk about, so if I talk about my, my early trauma or my adverse childhood experiences, a lot of those issues haven't been resolved. And, and to be honest, I, I don't think they ever will be. Um, yep. I think the only thing that I'll be able to manage is, is how I deal with it. Um, yep. Before I used to deal with it by doing copious amounts of drugs. And um, now I just try and deal with it in a, with a more sort of adult approach, I guess. So I, I try and deal with my emotions and feelings as opposed to just letting them build up and, and going reckless and going on these massive drug fringes that last for years at a time. Um, <laughs> it's, a much, it's a much better approach that I have now. And thankfully, like going through rehab and stuff, I've got quite a lot of coping mechanisms and strategies that I can put into place um, that I can use to take action on. So... Yeah, I love I love talking. I've, I've shared my story um, with oh God, um, loads of different platforms online. Probably most famously, Lab Bible. Um, yeah, my story has been viewed like nearly five million times. So I get I've done quite a lot of work with with them. I've, I've been on the BBC. I've been on. I was on the radio yesterday. I'm on a, the radio again next week. I've been on loads of TV shows, news channels, and it's not like. It's kind of been, although it sounds pretty cool when I when I say it, it's not because I'm, you know, I'm not going on there because I've I've made millions of pounds or because I'm I'm doing well, you know, I'm I'm in recovery and I think that's amazing. But ultimately, my story is about how much of an, an arsehole I was when I was on drugs. Um, yeah. How, I don't know if I can swear on it, but how messed up my life is. Um, swear swear away, man. Swear away. <laughs> my life was when I was on drugs, and it's. You know, although it's, it's an amazing thing getting into recovery um, and, you know, trying to push those boundaries and, and talk about recovery, um, it's, it's sometimes quite scary um, because, you know, the stuff that you're saying, it's, it's, it's personal. Um, you know, it's not like I'm, I'm going on and I'm some bloody film star talking about a movie I've just made or something. You know, that's quite easy. But, like, I'm talking about deep, 
personal issues. Um, 100%. Yeah, so it's, it's difficult at times, but I love it. Um, and it does help. And more importantly, it helps other people. So, And that's how... And, and, and we'll, we'll get into it a bit because that's how I, how I found you. I saw the Lad Bible um, yeah. uh, epi- episode, which was amazing. Um, and yeah, I just thought, like, I remember like seeing it and then I remember looking at, yeah, the views and stuff like that. And I thought, fucking hell, like that's really gone <laughs> completely viral, like all over yeah. the world. Um, and it's just cool, like the impact that it that it would have had, not just um, in the UK, but uh, you know, all over the world. And it's reached here in Australia, and lots of loads of people watch the Lad Bible um, on Facebook yeah. or YouTube or whatever here. So, so interesting, man. So, so tell me though, how long have you been in recovery now for? And so this, I've had so I've had sort of stages, certain stages of a certain degree of recovery in the past but it was always I wasn't entirely clean I'd, I'd have run away from my environment I'd have gone back home to Ireland for a year or so and I'd have probably I still used even when I was in Ireland a few times but it was only when I came back um, to Barnsley so I wasn't I wouldn't say I was in recovery as such and um, but now and um, I've, I've been in recovery pretty much the day well I count my recovery time the day after I went into rehab so I went into rehab on the 2nd of November 2018 yeah um, I was absolutely fucked when I went through those doors so I count my clean time as the next day yeah um, I I think like most addicts the, the, the day you decide like I made a conscious decision to stop taking drugs so like rehab was relatively easy in some aspects because I'd already decided that I'd done with drugs but when I went into rehab, I was still a raging drug addict. So I still used as many, my poison in particular is ketamine. Um, so I took as much ketamine as I possibly could the last 24 hours of, of, <laughs> of my, before I started my journey of recovery. Um, but I think like most addicts, I think you sort of have that final, like that, that sort of final bout with, with whatever drug it is or whatever drugs that you're using. Because yep. I, I gone into rehab otherwise especially that sort of stage in my life i was i mean i was i was dying um i, w- I was yep. just you know, when i went into rehab i was absolutely like physically fucked mentally emotionally and spiritually and um, and i think i think like most addicts you have that sort of final bash at whatever it is that you that whatever poison or drug it is that you take um, but my clean time's from the third of november um, and i've been i've been clean ever since i don't drink i don't do drugs thank god um, I don't smoke, I don't, like, I say to people and I think, oh, God, you're boring, like, and I'm like, no, I don't need drugs to have fun, like, I'm stupid anyway without needing drugs. <laughs> yeah, amazing. So, so given that period of time, because this is something that we've been asking a few people that come on the show and talk about, because as you said, it's, um, it's obviously hard to talk about your story because it's, yeah, it's not like you're talking about some movie, it's, it's your personal... <laughs> yeah. It's your, it's your personal life. Like, have you ever felt like when you've gone and done media and stuff like that, that you sort of have been taken advantage of in terms of how you tell your story and they, I don't know whether they focus on the bad bits or, or whatever it is. And um, like, what, what would you say to people about making that decision to kind of share their story? Cause we have lots of people coming on here and that they're, they're sort of, they're not sure they don't want to work in like a rehab or anything. They might be yeah. professionals in other spaces and they really want to do their story, but they're scared of 
kind of some of the consequences. So yeah, have you had experiences like that or, or what do you tell people about when the right time is to share their experiences? Um, I think to be honest, like I know, so I'm not really, like, I, I do a 12 step program with, with a, a gentleman up here that it's an amazing guy called Benny Murphy. And I, I sort of, he helps me through like the steps, but in terms of like fellowship, that's where most people talk about their addiction. That's where most people are, are open and honest about who they are and what they are and what they've done. Um, but for me, I, I don't really, so I don't agree with fellowships, but for me, I just don't really think that they're my thing. I don't do it. So I don't have that experience of really talking, although I've, I've shared it a few places and stuff like that. Um, I, don't, I don't have that luxury of going to meetings day in, day out and talking about yep. it. So when I, when I talk about it, it's always on bloody telly or <laughs> some, something that's going to get millions of views. And it's, it's even more scary the fact that I know what I'm saying is going to be heard by lots of people. And, and as, as, an, as an amazing thing as that is, it also has some, it can also have some heavy consequences. So I don't think I've been taken advantage of, thankfully. Um, and like I, I worked with The Sun, uh, The Sun newspaper, which is the UK's largest selling newspaper. Um, yep. And they have, they have um, in my opinion, I think they're a fantastic, you know, fantastic organization, but they have made mistakes, but then, so have I, and I'm, I'm sure so have you, and so is everybody else. You know, we're really human; we all make mistakes. But they did some articles years ago about a football incident, um, Hillsbury disaster, and because of that, because of the backlash for that, and because of like phone tapping cases and stuff like that, um, they're regarded as a sort of untrustworthy um, newspaper to work with. Right. So I, I announced that I was working with them, and I got quite a lot of backlash. Um, which was odd because all the people that was giving me shit for it, like they would literally buzz naked and covered in tar and feathers if they happened to, you know what I mean? But because I was doing it, oh, it's dangerous, you shouldn't be doing this. And I was a little bit, after I'd got like hundreds of people messaging me and sort of warning me, I was a bit, I was a little bit apprehensive in terms of how it could, um, when it gets, when it goes to print and it comes out in the newspaper, how it could, how it could be seen or how it could be portrayed. But it was it was amazing. Um, and the story was about me and my recovery and what I'm intending to do. And it was also a, a powerful message of giving other addicts hope. And I, and I don't care who shares my message or a message of inspiration and hope. I don't really care who it is. Um, because what's more important is, is that that message is shared. Um, but no, thankfully, I haven't. <laughs> um, yeah. It's kind of scary because, like, so I presume you've obviously seen the pictures of how I used to look. Um, and 100%. I've actually got the article. Um, I'll show it you as well in a minute. But, but like, my image is, is printed on, on the full page, and it's, like, me looking like shit. Um, and it says, drug addict, uh, ketamine addict, Thomas Delaney, blah, 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 blah. And that's quite, you know, thankfully, I'm setting up my own um, business and stuff to work with children regarding drug education. So thankfully, you know, I can be quite proud of my story because it's my story that's going to help me to, to help children um, yeah. and empower people. But if I was to go back into the corporate world where, like, when I was a raging drug addict, I had a, an amazing career. I worked as a business development executive and I was earning loads of money. I had, a, you know, I had all the materialistic objects that we all stupidly desire. Um, and it meant shit, you know, but if I was to yep. get a job in an office and, and hide my past, well, I really won't be doing the stuff that I'm doing now because it'd be quite difficult. Um, yep. 
and regardless of everything, like as addicts, we're faced with stigma every single day. And um, if I went for a, a job similar to my last role and and told them that I'd not worked, well, that I'd not worked for a year because I went into rehab, I'd probably not get the job, even though I'm, I'm probably more than qualified and I've, you know, I've, and I've got the, the I've got the, the work experience to, to match the job that I'm going for. I would probably not get it because I'd be classed as, well, they, they'd see me as a drug addict. Even though I'm clean, I do all this amazing stuff, they would discriminate straight away. Um, so, it, like, I've not, in, in my own personal experience, I've not thankfully had a negative experience with sharing my story, but I have been, like, trolled recently and stuff like that. Um, yeah. It's difficult. Like, I wasn't really bullied, not at school, I was bullied at home, but not really, not at school. So I've never really had that experience of, of being like, bullied by other people, apart from father figures or, or men in my life. So it was, it was a bit odd and um, being trolled. But in, in terms of like the media and stuff, they're all really positive. And I think, you know, regardless of, of someone's reputation, I think they are trying to help addiction. And that, that's, for me, that's far more important than, than me or than my story or, the old people that try and troll me online. <laughs> yeah. But no, no, that's, that's, that's a really, that's a really interesting experience that you have. Like just, just kind of, because, you know, like I've, I've had a similar experience to you here in Australia where I did my story on the yeah. sort of the biggest newspaper and then, you know, found myself doing all the media outlets and all that sort of stuff. But yeah. the thing that I find interesting about yours is that, you kind of cross that bridge by doing the internet story, which is their audiences are like, yeah, bigger, you know, worldwide than just the local kind of newspapers or even yeah. like the country's newspaper. Um, and it's just amazing the amount of people that you can reach. And, and I was interested to hear, yeah, if you got any negative feedback or any, any criticism, because the thing that I've found really interesting when I've, done this podcast or spoken in the media here in Australia, I never get any negative criticism from people outside the recovery community. It's always comes from, it always comes from people in recovery. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. So I, I have a massive problem with that. And um, which is why I don't, I don't tend to, so I have my own social circle, right? And um, because of obviously lockdown is getting smaller and smaller and smaller, but, um, well, I don't, like I said, I, I don't do fellowship meetings. Um, I, I try and stay away from that. And it's not, like I said, it's not that I've got anything against the meeting per se. It's, it's more sometimes the people, because I get, a lot of, I get a lot of stick and a lot of shit for the stuff that I do. And, it's, and what pisses me off the most is it's from people in recovery. And I'm like, yeah. you should be. Like, I'm not saying they should be proud or ecstatic over the things that I do, but, you know, it'd be like, I'm one of you guys. And this is, this is sort of like, this weird phase that I'm in now, it's like, so I class myself as a junkie and I'm, I don't mind saying junkie or drug addict or whatever, like it doesn't, it doesn't offend me. And um, it used to offend me when I was fucked and wasting my life, but not anymore. And, um, but like, I refer to myself as a junkie, but then it's like, I'll go to a, if I went to a fellowship meeting, they all talk about like, oh, it's ego. And it's like, even when I was in um, Riyadh, I got a lot of stick for doing the lab Bible thing. Um, from people I fucking lived with. And I was like, what? Like, and they were like, oh, it's egotistical, it's pretentious, it's this, it's narcissistic. And I was like, do you actually know what narcissistic means? Because that's not what, that's not what that is. Um, <laughs> and it was like, I got, 
like called arrogant and eager. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going on camera. There were like 12 cameras in front of me for the, for the Lab Bible studio. And I'm like, and I'm talking about how much of an absolute fucking asshole I was as a drug addict and how much I ruined my family's lives, my friend lives, relationships, and everyone around me that I loved and cherished, I've damaged. And I'm like, yeah. Ego, like, <laughs> you and then what they would do is they'd recite quotes from the, the big book with like NA or AA or whatever, and it, it's difficult, but like, it, it like, I don't, I don't get strangers, like, I, I get like, I might get recognized in the street and stuff like that. And like, I, I, I can remember I went on a camping trip, um, before lockdown, just not long after the lab Bible thing went live. Um, and I, got, I, went, I went into a train station to go for a wee because um, we were travelling up north, like miles away. And um, I got approached by a bunch of like teenage, like late teens, um, like a mob of these young people. I'm like, I, I sort of, you know, I, I don't mind being sort of wrecked. Like, it's kind of like a bit of a buzz, which is, but if I said yeah. that to someone, they'd be like, oh, that's dangerous, you're chasing that feeling. I'm like, no, I'm not. It's quite a cool thing to get. To get recognized and it's it's like more importantly than that it allows me to engage with younger people because the chances are they've probably seen my story and they probably want to talk to me about drugs and that's yep. what I, I think that's what i'm all about and and one of the one of the young girls went oh oi. they were like you're that druggie <laughs> oh, so i looked around and i was like i think they're talking to me and they were like are you that you're that, that druggie off my bible and i was like yeah that, that's me <laughs> Um, and I, I engaged in a conversation with like 12 or 13 young people at, at a train station. And then, and I was like, they were like, so do you still take drugs or not? And I was like, no, no, I don't take drugs. And they were like, oh, that, that's amazing. That's, and I was like, to have young people say that not taking drugs is amazing. Like that for me, like all the shit that I get and everything else, just for one, one, one person to say that, then it's worthwhile. Do you know what I mean? But it is, it is people in recovery that probably give me the most shit. Um, and old associates that people I used to fucking use drugs with or people that I used to buy drugs off or and it's like I understand that I used to take it really personally and I'd be like and I used to get all these like crazy thoughts about it <laughs> and stuff and you know you go like you go crazy and I used to imagine all these things and in, in like horrible things towards these people and I'm like and now I'm I'm thankfully in a, in a better place in my life where I think fuck them like, you know, and half of these people that give me shit, the reason why they give me shit is because of A, the main thing is that they're jealous, or the fact that they're still fucked. And it's like, I used to be like that towards people that I saw that got clean, I'd be like, oh, fuck them, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's because I was still sick. So, like, all the people that give me shit, whether they're in a fellowship and they, they, they claim they're clean and whatever, but, you know, it's, I, I look at it now and think, right, okay, so... It's not about me. Like the reason that there's obviously an issue why they've got a problem with what what I'm doing. And when I try and analyze it, like it all boils down to the fact that, and I, I don't mean this arrogantly, but you know, they'd probably love to be doing half the stuff that I do, but they're not. And like, I, I'm competing with guys that are 10, 15, 20 years clean that slag me off. And I'm yep. like, well, if you're going to do that and you, you claim to be as, as clean as you are, then you know, you're not part of my tribe and, you know, it, it, it's fine. If you don't like it, I don't care because, you know, for as many, you know, there's 7 billion people out there. So I'm sure not all 7 billion people are going to like me or, or agree with what I do, but I'm not doing it for those sort of people. So as long as I remain true to myself and, and I know that what I'm doing 
I feel is from the right, you know, from the right sort of, I'm doing it for the right reasons, then I'm cool with that. Um, yeah. But I used to get so angry. And, and I'm not going to lie, sometimes I, I still get pissed off, don't get me wrong. Um, but on the whole, I, I tend to manage it now a lot better because I just try and shut it down before I get those crazy thoughts. And I'm like, oh, fuck them. You know, would they love to, to do the stuff that I do? Yeah, of course they would. You know, yeah. it's like, I get, I do get a lot of shit. And, and unfortunately, like Glasgow's now, like Glasgow's my home, but unfortunately it's got the reputation of um, being the drug capital of Europe. Um, there's drugs up fucking everywhere. Um, but because there's a lot of drugs, there's a massive recovery scene. And, you know, I think a lot, personally, I don't think a lot of, um, like, I do get a lot of shit from people in the recovery scene up here, but that's fine because on the same hand, you know, on the same side of it, I get a lot of people that are in the fellowship, that are um, in recovery in Glasgow, and they absolutely, you know, I, I really get on with them, I talk to them, I can phone them up if I'm struggling and vice versa, and I have that real sort of connection. Um, so for yeah. everybody there's always someone else that doesn't. So uh, I tend to focus on the positives now rather than, than the negatives. But yep. it's not easy. <laughs> mate, mate, that's so, it's so interesting that you say that, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's, really, it, it's really funny because that's the exact kind of same experience that I've had here in Australia um, yeah. that you just explained there. Um, and, you know, I, I did catch on to it because it sounds like I've had sort of a similar journey to you just on the different yeah. side of the on the world like I um you know because and and on this show like like you said we're we're not trying to um slag off any vehicle in which people find recovery like however yeah, they yeah. find it it's awesome um but but what one of our goals is is just to like we're trying to talk to everyone like so we're trying to talk to people that believe in being totally abstinent and going to 12 step programs. We're trying to yeah. talk to people that hate 12 step programs. We're trying to talk to people that are, you know, still using drug replacement and, and living a good life. And they're happy with that. Uh, we're talking to family members. We're just trying to get the whole gamut of experiences, which is, which has been really interesting. Um, and you know, 12 step fellowships are, there's so much good stuff and there's so much fucking weird stuff that goes on there as well. Oh, yeah. And it's such a, such a big part of the recovery scene across the world because yeah. it's just the oldest sort of um, intervention, I guess you call it, that has been around forever. So, so what's your experience with 12 step programs? Um, and, and what, and why are you sort of, why do you feel like it's not for you? And, but it sounds like in a way you still have some of the recovery philosophies of 12 step programs yeah. and stuff, which is interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's not that I don't agree or, or disagree with um, a lot of the principles. I think some of them are fantastic. And I think subconsciously, regardless of the 12 steps, I think if you do follow a journey of recovery, there is elements that you will do. Well, obviously, the main one being acceptance. I had to accept that I was a fucking raging drug addict to get better. That's right. And that That's took right. me 14 years. Even though I knew a long, long, long time ago that I knew what I was, um, you like you have to be willing to accept help as well as ask for it. And I, I did a I did probably some of the steps without realizing there was a thing such as the steps. Um, and it's like for me it doesn't matter. Like for, for me it doesn't matter how you get clean. It really doesn't. And yeah. um, you know it's like people can get to, can get twelve steps. Use that to keep clean. People can go 
join a football club, people can set up their own business and, and help other people, people can can do all these other ventures. And it's like, it doesn't really matter to me how you stay clean. What matters is is that you're trying to be a better person. And that, that to me, that, that's all that matters. And it's like, when I went to rehab, I didn't go to a 12-step, um, like a fellowship rehab. I went to a therapeutic community, which is called the TC. So our philosophy, or oh, we had a big philosophy, which was to read every day, but our philosophy was more about a therapeutic community and working together and working with everybody and, you know, and, and trying to build up this camaraderie and, and, and we, we ran the house. It was really weird. Obviously we had, we had like staff members and um, that maintained the rehab, but like in terms of the program, in terms of um, the housekeeping, the cooking, the cleaning, the, the actual timetables of the program, we ran it all. So we had different departments. So it was, it was like a, a job and yeah. we'd have like an office department um, housekeeping and um, health and safety, cooking, cleaning, um, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, it was, the thing is like, I, I believe that a therapeutic community does work. Now, you know, if, if I, if I took a, I think in terms of the 12 steps, it's, it's a spiritual process of change. And I think people get too caught up in the semantics of, of, yeah. of, the, of the program. And it's like, I see on Facebook all the bloody time of like, people that have and i don't mean this like in in, in like um slagging anybody that's like relapsed or anything like that because like i like i said i've been clean for a little bit in the past and, and fucked it up and stuff like that and you know and that's fine that's people's journey and that's people's experience but i always see them blaming everything else and it's like oh the the program works or i didn't follow the program properly and this that and the other and it's like the real biggest thing in anybody's recovery is, is, is that up there. It's our mind. It's, it's us. Like, we're the yeah. problem. Um, and I know we might have had all these issues and, and everything else that, you know, that adds to it. But ultimately, it's, it's, it's our brains. We're, we are the problem. And I think a lot of people don't like to admit that it's us. Like, it's our thinking. It's our negative behaviors, our habitual behaviors that we've learned probably from our parents and, and, and you know we've, we've grown up with that and it stemmed from them and um, but like I don't I don't really care on how people get clean and, and I also feel that sometimes like I mean I'm, I'm Irish Catholic so I was I was born in um, in Ireland a place called Nina and um, in County Tipperary and my family are extremely strict Catholics so I grew up believing you know in God and was christened had my communion and all of that sort of normal Catholic Irish background and it's like I don't know if I believe in a God or not. I believe that there's something obviously bigger and greater out there than us. And, but I, I like to believe that I'm quite spiritual and, and I pray and I meditate and stuff. And the, the person when I, when I pray or I meditate to is I talk to my inner child a lot. And I, I believe, you know, the universe is a massive thing and we're all connected, we're all part of it. I don't know if, if Jesus Christ was a prophet or if he is the ultimate God. You know, if you look at religion on a whole, there's so many different religions. I mean, like, you can even be like a Jedi. A Jedi is now a religion. And it's like you can pick anything, any creed, any religion that you want. Um, and I think sometimes the 12 steps, it sort of forces that concept of religion down your throat. Um, and I can, I can take aspects from it. And, and I do take aspects from it. Um, you know, and I, I do appreciate some of the principles. But then I think, I think people tend to get too caught up in how you get clean. Like for me, it doesn't matter... But if I look at a person, I think, all right, they're a, they're a nice person, they're a good person, they're trying to get better, they're positive, or they're this or they're that. I try and look at the person 
and their qualities, not, oh, they're Jewish, they're Catholic, they're Sikh, they're, like, it doesn't matter what they are. What matters is who they are and what they're about. And I think yeah. people that follow the 12 steps, it is an obsession. Like, I know people that go to meetings three or four or five times a day. And I'm like, I personally, I didn't get clean to, to do that. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't think I could. Um, I think if I was constantly around um, those environments, they can be quite toxic. Um, you know, and there's plenty of other environments that can be very toxic, you know, negative environments on the whole can be a bad experience. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all about trying to help people and, and listen to people and, you know, and share my experience, listen to others. But I think for me, the fellowship is, you know, and it's, I've got, I've met some fantastic people in it. And, you know, I'm still friends with them. I still talk to them. I meet up with them when we're allowed, you know, and I, I can, I can learn from them. But for me, going and sitting in fellowship meetings day in, day out, um, you know, it's just not for me. Um, if I was to do that, I don't know how long it would be before I'd probably use drugs again. Um, <laughs> you know, and I, I, don't, I say that and I laugh about it like it's funny, but, you know, I, I, do what, I, do what, I do my recovery, and I think that's the thing. Everybody's recovery is individual. You know, your recovery might be similar, but in different aspects, I'm sure it's very different. <laughs> um, and everybody's recovery is their own. You know, what you went through might not be what I went through. The things that I do to stay clean might not be the things that you do to stay clean and it's like I don't for me I don't really I don't really care about that what I care about is the fact that I respect you for the fact that you're in recovery and the fact that you're trying to make a difference that to me is outweighs how you got clean like it doesn't really matter about how you get clean and for me like I'll get asked to share like I get asked to share a lot by people in the fellowship and and I'm more than happy to do it um but then they'll ask me um or do you do like an NA program or an AA program or whatever? And I'm like, <laughs> no, not, not really. And they'd be like, what fellowship are you with? And I'm like, not with, <laughs> not with any. Um, and I mean, like, I've got a, I even hate using the terminology sponsor because um, it, it, to me, it sort of sounds very fellowshipy, but I've got a, I like to call him. Mentor. A, yeah, he's a mentor. He's, a, he's my life coach. Like, and he's, a, he's a fantastic guy and I meet him. I'm constantly in contact with him and I'll meet him when I'm allowed to meet him. I saw him just before we went back into bloody lockdown for our on holiday. And it's, um, you know, and I'll sit and I'll talk to him and he, he's done all the fellowship and he's gone and got degrees in psychology and counseling. He's wrote his own book and he's done all these fantastic things. And I'll, and I'll sit sometimes and I just, and I, I talk a lot as you probably guess, but like, I'll sit and I'll just listen. I don't talk. I don't argue all the time. And I'll just sit and I'll listen to him. And like, he's all about, you know, he's all about a spiritual process of change. And that, for me, that's what recovery is. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, because you did it in this, you know, in, in the fellowship, or it, that doesn't define your recovery for me. Um, I think your sense of character and who you are and what you go around and what you do, I think that's what we should, I know we shouldn't judge people, but I think that's what you should sort of be looking at. Not, oh, he did any, so he knows what he's talking about, or, he got clean in a therapeutic community rehab. He's got no idea what he's fucking talking about. And it's like, you know, I, I see, you know, it, for me, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. As long as you're trying to get clean and you're doing something, it doesn't, you know, it, it, everyone gets caught up in the semantics of, of how you get clean. And I think it's a lot of bullshit. You know, it, it doesn't matter. Does it really matter how you get clean? It, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's so interesting. I've had... Yeah, I, I think pretty much the same thing as you. Um, uh, 
and oh, I've, I've actually, I don't think I've talked about it much on the show. I might, I might do a show one day and kind of talk about it. But what, what happened to me, right, was that, yeah, like I, I went to rehab and, and the rehab I went to was <clears throat> same as you, like a therape- therapeutic community, but yeah. was like heavily based in the 12-step kind of program. Oh, okay. And um, and yeah, like, you know, uh, I sort of, I was just, like you said, I was just fucked when I went there and I was desperate and I needed something to kind of help me. And they presented me with this thing and I like the 12-step programs and I thought it was a bit weird, but I just was like, you know what? this is fucking, I just got to do it because yeah, yeah like I'm going to fucking die or whatever. So I jumped in and I, I jumped in and did it. And then I just got so like indoctrinated within the 12 steps for like over like five years. Right. And then it was really weird. I don't even know how, it, how, how it happened. Right. But I started to just kind of, I don't know, like my head just kind of started popping out of my ass and I just started like noticing a few things and just started kind of listening to myself and going, you know, like a lot of this stuff is good, but a lot of this shit is like really fucking weird as well, <laughs> you know? And yeah. then, and then through, yeah, my work and all this different stuff that I did, I started meeting other people that had just had lots of different experiences of recovery. And yeah, now I'm like in this really healthy place with it. And it's kind of a weird thing to say, but now I, I actually realize, you know, like how people get really radicalized in like religion and stuff like that, yeah. because in some ways that's kind of what happened to me. You know what I mean? Not, not that anyone was to blame. It was kind of, it was a good, I would never take it back because it, it saved my life and doing all that stuff really helped me. But yeah, um, yeah it's just such an interesting process. And now like talking to other people that are just like heavily entrenched in fellowships and stuff like that. And it's, and it's great. Like as long as people are just, as you said, having a good life and are in recovery, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah it's funny like they'll say to me like oh oh, like what like you know like you you don't go to meetings anymore that much and i'm like yeah yeah (laughs) i'm like nah dude i'm I'm okay (laughs) you know so yeah it's 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 kind of strange man so it's interesting to hear you talk about that so so tell me just before I've kind of gone backwards here. Um, but right. j- just before you tell me about like your story and just like what your journey has actually been, what, what is, you know, you mentioned that it's kind of this spiritual process. Like how do you, how do you think of it? Do you believe that you have a disease or, or like, how do you sort of understand addiction and how do you like implement recovery in your life, I guess, to kind of fight whatever that, philosophy of addiction that you believe it is yeah so like a huge thing so when we talk about the fellowship like i like i said i I used to go to meetings and stuff when i was early in recovery and you know i got i got out of it what i needed to get out of it um could i live in that stage constantly not at all um you know it's it's difficult for me i don't enjoy it but um it's like so my mind just gone blank. Sorry, um, my mind just right. gone blank. Maybe I do need the fellowship then. Um, but no, it's like, what was the question? How do I get clean? Yeah, that was it. Yeah, and and like, yeah, like, how did you get clean? And and you know, how do you understand addiction at the moment? Because so many of yeah. our listeners kind of say to me, "Well, oh, Jack, like, I, I went to see this person. They told me it was a fucking disease. Like, disease, is that yeah. right?" Uh, I went to this person, they told me it was like because of my trauma. I went to this person, they told me, and they're just fucking confused. You yeah, know, like, so, how, 
Yeah. Part of the reason I don't go to the fellowship, that's the, that's the point I was trying to make, is because I don't believe, I don't believe addiction is a disease. And I, and I argue with a lot of people about it. Not argue, but have a, a healthy debate about why I don't believe it. It doesn't, to, to me, it doesn't fit the concept or the model of a disease. You know, I wasn't, if I had a disease, if I was born with this disease, whether it be generic or in my DNA or hereditary or whatever, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't start taking drugs till I was 18. So what was I doing for 18 years? You know, yeah. you know was, I, was I, you know, I didn't cry as a, as a three-week-old baby because I wanted to be fed ketamine and not breast milk. You know, it was like, <laughs> this is, this is what I, like I really don't understand when people say it's a disease and it, it like, it boggles, it, it boggles my mind because purely on the fact that by definition you've got a disease and you've got it for life. Now, I can't, you know, I don't want to drink or do drugs or smoke ever. Like, well, I never smoked anything, but like, you know, for me, I'm, I'm done with, with drugs. I made a conscious and um, a self-awareness decision to get clean and, and to get into recovery and to make my life happy. Um, you know, and it's, if I had a disease, you know, I'd, I'd have been fucked at a year old or three years old or five or six. And it's like, I grew up hating drugs. I hated alcohol because I saw what it did to my father uh, and what it continues to do to my father. And more importantly, what it did to my family. Uh, I mean, my, my dad terrorized our family because of his alcoholism, because of his gambling, because of everything else. And it's like, for me, I grew up and I despised alcohol. I despised drugs. I hated it. Um, so if I had a disease, then why, you know, why was I not drinking or doing drugs at 12 year old or four months old or whatever? And it's like, I don't believe that it's a disease. Um, I do believe it should be viewed and treated as, a, as an illness. Um, but like, if you talk to someone and they'll, they'll break the word down, disease, and they'll go, it's a dis-ease. And I'm like, well, a dis-ease is two fucking separate words. And it doesn't mean, you know, you can't just throw two words together and, and break it down into two syllables and say it's a dis-ease, which is two completely different words. It's like, it's disease and dis-ease are completely different. You know, it's like calling, a therapist, and I, I said this a lot, this analogy. So it'd be like me going to see a therapist and breaking that down and calling him the rapist because it's the exact same thing, you know. Like if you break down the word therapist into two syllables, it is the rapist. <laughs> you know, it's like if I said oh, I'm going to see the rapist, you would think, oh, it means therapist, you know. And it's like these <laughs> and this is it's two fucking different words. You can't you can't do that. And I see people and when I talk to them about it. And I mean, I've had some amazing conversations with, with my life coach and with other people that are in the fellowship, with other people that are in recovery. And like, I, don't mind, I, I don't mind talking about it because I think the only way we can really understand addiction is by talking about it and is, yeah. is accepting all these questions and, and trying to answer them and make sense of them. But like, you know, it's, the way I look at it is if I went to a children's hospital today in Glasgow and I, and I looked at, I don't know, like, a dying girl at six year old that's got like a, a brain tumor or something. That's a disease, you know, she didn't choose to have that. Now in retrospects, you know, I, although ultimately I chose to take drugs, what I didn't choose was to grow up in an environment where I didn't feel like I was loved. I didn't feel like I was part of the family. I constantly blamed myself for my father's addiction. I constantly blamed myself for my mum and dad's troubles. And I blamed myself for everything. And I grew up thinking that, Maybe life would be better for my family if I wasn't around. And, um, you know, I grew up constantly with all this trauma, with all these, these adverse childhood experiences. 
And I, I grew up and I constantly thought that I was the problem. And I, ultimately, in terms of like my mind and stuff, I was. But like, I didn't choose to grow up and be treated how I, how I was. And um, although ultimately I did choose to take drugs, but you know, if, if anybody grew up the way that I did, then, you know, it's no fucking wonder why I, I turned to drugs. And in fairness, like I didn't turn to drugs till quite, I say late on, I was like almost 18, 17, 18, which, which isn't that late. You know, I was mid teens, late teens, but like, I work with people now, uh, I'm working with people that are like 12, 11, 12 year old that are taking heroin. Um, and it's because of the, I, I personally believe it's because of how they feel about themselves. So there's something or there's someone that's making them feel so shit about themselves that the only way that they can see or feel better is by using a substance. I mean, we've all got our own vices in, in, in ways of, of how we feel better. Um, but I think, you know, like I had no aspirations of growing up to be a drug addict or a cathead, or a fucking junkie, or whatever the papers describe me as. And it's like, I didn't, you know, I didn't grow up to, to want to be like that. Like, quite the opposite. I, fucking, I hated drugs. Um, but drugs became my best friend because what people don't tend to talk about is, you know, drugs made me feel amazing. You know, drugs made me take myself away from myself. But when I was on drugs, I didn't think about all the shit that I thought about when I was growing up, or I didn't have those issues for a good few years. And... Um, but then obviously the downside of, of obviously consuming copious amounts of drugs is the fact that it does really affect your mental health. It does end up making you suicidal, depressed, you know, it gives you low self-esteem. And, um, you know, all these other issues that, that surrounds addiction. Um, and it's, it's, it's difficult because I think like even now, like I've, I've spoken in Parliament, I've been to Parliament and stuff like that and, and met people that believe it's a disease and met people that are, are really against the fact that it's a disease. Um, and again, this is where I think we get too caught up in the semantics of what addiction is. The main thing about addiction is it's fucking killing people. It's destroying families, it's destroying lives, it's destroying communities, it's destroying our society. Um, in that aspect, could you look at it as a disease? Yeah, but would I define addiction as, as a disease? No, I don't. I think it's, you know, I do think it, it should be viewed and treated as an illness, but you do, you know, me and you are here today and you know, we're not on drugs. <laughs> we're not. We're not. We're not fucked. So yeah. if we had a, then why are we not fucked now? Like you know, and it's like I see far too many people. Coincidentally, um, I can remember once in being in a meeting in a fellowship meeting, and a guy talked about how he, how he, he, he hit his bird and stuff, and and then he stole his kid and, and left his kid somewhere. And I was like, and then he 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 ended the sentence, his story, by saying. But I've got a powerful disease. This disease is powerful. And I was like, and I grew up in a household where unfortunately my dad used to, my father used to batter my mom and me and my, my family and stuff. And it's like, I hate violence towards women and children, especially. I don't think it's right to hit another bloke either, not all the time. <laughs> um, but like, it's, it's like, for me, you have to have a certain degree of acceptance. And, you know, the fellowship is all about acceptance and, and it's a big part of people's plan. Just moving to see the team. Yeah, it's like, I think people play on it. You know, people say, I've heard people say all these terrible things that they've done and then end it with the fact that they had a disease. And it's like, you know, if, if you're passing the blame onto this disease model, then you're not, you're not taking responsibility. Yeah. So if you can't accept what the fuck you did that was wrong, 
how are you going to get better? You know, I could, I could sit here all day and talk about all the shit things that I did and I did it because I had a disease. And I didn't do it because, you know, I did it because I was a selfish little confused little prick. You know, I, I did it because unfortunately drugs do make you a very selfish person. I put drugs before everything else. So anything else in my life that had any value or that I loved or cherished came after drugs. So when you put drugs first, it does, it does make you an incredibly selfish person. Now, well, you know, I don't do, I don't do the things that I used to do now because I'm, I'd like to think that I've embarked on this spirit, spiritual process of change and I like to think that I'm a better person, but I, I, I will never, I'll never agree with anybody until I take my last breath that I believe it's a disease um, because I certainly don't. Um, and if it was a disease, we'd constantly be sick and we'd constantly be trapped in addiction. And, and I see a lot of people like if they relapse, they, they, you know, they, they talk about the, disease, the addiction as like in terms of a disease model. And it's like, but what they fail to look at is the things that they went wrong. You know, there is a reason why you relapsed. Um, mm. I, I don't say that lightly because, you know, thankfully I'm in a, in a position where I don't intend to, to relapse. And, and I don't live each day at a time. Um, which is a, a big phrase that you hear in, in the 12 steps a lot. Like you'll hear each day, live each day at a time, each day as it comes and all this. And, and for me, I did that as a drug addict. I got up every morning, I'd be fucking pounding drug dealers. I'd be phoning drug dealers at six o'clock in the morning. And then if they didn't answer, I'd drive to the house and fucking batter the door down at half six, seven o'clock in the morning to get drugs. And I used to live every 24 hours as a fucking drug addict and I'd plot and I'd scheme and I'd lie and I'd do everything that I possibly could to get my next hit. And now I don't live, I don't live, although I, you know, I don't have a diary and I'm planned, I like to think that I'm planned. And, you know, I live my life um, in a structured way, but I, I certainly don't live each day as it comes because for me, I did that as an addict. And I, what, I, what I tend to do now is I set myself goals. It could be a month, six months, 12 months, two years, whatever. I set myself goals and I work my ass off to make sure that I achieve those goals. And, and that for me works. Now, I'm not saying that works for everybody else, you know, but then I see a lot of people that, you know, that the each day as, as it comes thing doesn't work for them either. So, you know, I think, you know, it, it, I hate, you know, there's always going to be this argument about whether it's a disease or not. And I think it should be putting more focus in, into, well, fuck it, I don't care what disease it, well, I don't care if addiction is a disease, if it's a, a lifestyle choice, whatever it is right what matters is it's fucking killing people and um, yeah. so how can we help prevent that that should be that should be far more important than i think we try to i think as a society we tend to think that we know everything or we want to know everything and you know it's, mm. it's only you know it's a disease and that's that and that's that's mm. quite close-minded um you know that's, that's quite narrow-minded and you know who knows what it is you know it who knows but the most important thing is it you know, addiction is rife in our community, in our society, um, and it, it destroys fucking families. And that that's what's you know that's what that's what we should be talking about. You know what it uh, does, not defining it or categorizing it into whatever it is. Who cares what it is? You know, and if it if it's a disease, it's not like we're going to get an injection and we're cured. You know, it's you know it's not like you take these medicine you take this medicine and you fix. You know, you've got to whatever it is that gets you clean and, and gets you into recovery. You've got to be you've got to be trying to do and you know and that, i think that's where we get caught up in in trying to define what what addiction is or how to get clean you know one shoe doesn't fit all what works for me 
work might work for you, might not work for somebody else. And and that's the beauty of it. We should be celebrating that we're all different. You know, as humanity, we're all we're all different. And we tend to, you know, I think we tend to discredit or um, you know, discriminate against our differences when really it should be rejoiced. And I think that's what I think that's what's amazing about about this this planet. We are all different and we should celebrate that. Yeah. So interesting. And yeah, you talk about it really well and, and it is really interesting because, um, you know, for me having that conversation with you makes heaps of sense, but it's just fascinating to people that aren't inside those recovery circles yet or are looking to get into them and they're not sure about it. It's just so good for people to just hear the wide range of opinions and experiences of, of other people's recovery journey and what they think and how they understand it. It's, it's really cool. So tell me, I'm also interested as well. Like you sort of touched on a bit of your story and you know, some of the yeah. things that played out, but like, I don't know, maybe it's a thing over in Ireland in the UK or something. I don't know, but like ketamine addiction, I haven't heard much of that. You know, usually, usually people say they use a bit of special K yeah. like as a as a complimentary sort of thing um with in their addiction or whatever but it sounds like for you it was the main it was the main staple at dinner <laughs> yeah it was um my diet <laughs> um and it, it really was so I, I got i got introduced so i was always really scared it's odd right so i was asked the first drug that i took was, was cocaine and and i used to hang around with friends that were older and like all my friends were quite a couple of years older than me and and I, it wasn't, when I was younger, I was quite um, a shy, I was, I was shy and I wasn't shy. Um, sorry, the sun. Blinded. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> sorry about moving about. Um, but yeah, it was like, I was quite, um, I don't think I was, because it's really weird because my friends wouldn't share, say I was shy, but, but I was. So um, I got like introduced to, to cocaine was my first drug and, and the reason why I took it was was because my friends did it, you know. And I used to go yeah. out and you know, being like 16, 17, it's that sort of age where and I was quite late to, to starting like, like fancying girls and wanting to like date and stuff like that. Um, and I used to go out on nights out and I'd be drinking, but I couldn't really drink. And yeah. I didn't yeah. like drinking either. Um, like I was a bit of a lightweight anyway. So yeah. the last time yeah. I Spoke about me, I could drink once all day long. And um, but I was, you know, <laughs> friends did it, and I and I, I used to like look up. Oh, some aspects I still look up to my friends, and you know, there's there's some people out there that can take drugs, and it's not a problem. And you know that that's fine. But for me, like I just I can't. Once I start, I can't stop, and it's as simple as that. I've accepted that, and you know, my life is a lot better without it. So for me, I don't. But like, I used to be like, oh, why are they like pulling girls and? You know, they can talk to girls all the time and I'm like sat hiding or like, oh, I need the toilet and I'd run off. And and it's not that I didn't used to get women like try and chat me up and stuff. I was just shit scared. Um, yep. I was, uh, as a young like bloke, um, there's quite a lot of peer pressure. You know, we have this sort of this male dominant um, stage where, you know, you like for me anyway, like and I think for most men, especially sort of like their adolescence and like late teens and, and early manhood, it's it's quite like, you know, you have to go out, pull birds, sleep with as many women as you can, and, and like be have this sort of reputation of, you know, oh yeah, Thomas can pull loads of birds and stuff like that. Like so yeah, just, and they're hard and they can knock people out and that, but like 
you know, a lot of people, you know, it's quite a, a male bravado thing. And I understand yeah. that like, ego and everything like that. And, and that's fine. Um, you know, and, and, and you're young and I think you go through that phase and you, hopefully you learn from it. But I was always scared to talk to girls. And then my friends used to do the coke and they were like, oh, try some. And, and I did. And I, I had no idea even how to take it. So like, I sniffed it. And I ended up taking about like half a gram because my mate went absolutely berserk because I didn't know how much. He just put like a note in the bag and I, and I, because and I, at first I did it wrong and then I did it again and I did it. Um, and it was like, I'm not going to lie, it was one of like that intense rush and euphoric feeling that you get. It was, it was absolutely incredible. Like, and I, I don't say that like, I'm not trying to glorify taking drugs. That's yeah. only last. That you'll have that maybe three or four fucking times if you're lucky throughout 12, 14, 15 year habit. Um, and then I was I used to take loads of cook and then um like I'd lost jobs and everything for it because I'd collapsed, I'd go into work after a four-day vendor and I collapsed once and I got fired, and then um I got introduced to ketamine when I was about 19 or 20. Um, and I went back to live in London for a while. And, I, and it was when I came back from London that I got introduced to it. Um, and I used to, you know, I'd go back to parties and, and you know, my main objective back then was, and this sounds really sort of like blokish, but like, you know, I went out to, to pull girls and have a laugh, right? I didn't go yeah. to the house party to take a line of ketamine and then spaz out in the corner and, you know, be like a zombie. So I used to look at my mates that took ketamine and I'd be like, but you've, you know, you've pulled the bird like she's come back to a party where and, you know, you took ketamine and six hours later you've just woke up and you were fucked. Like, she's gone home. You've not, obviously, like, pulled her or all that. And it's like, like, what are you doing? And then I never, I never understood ketamine. And then there was kind of this, like, competition sort of psychology behind it where I thought, well, the more guys in a room that are fucked on ketamine, the easier it is for me to pull because they're not like fucking zombies. So it was a bit like, I didn't mind people getting fucked and ketamine. And then I tried it, um, CK, so I tried cocaine with ketamine. Um, and I didn't, I didn't really feel it at first. And then I felt it and it was like this weird sort of floaty. And I kind of even mean to get like a euphoric recall when I talk about it, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the, the sort of trippiness, weirdness of it. Um, and then I sort of, and for me as well, it was cheaper than coke. Um, it was like half the price of cocaine. So financially, it made sense. Like I get yeah. I'm a At first, it would last me and two of my other mates, like maybe two or three nights out. So we'd have a little key and I'd be dragged out by a bouncer and put in the back of an ambulance or something like that. And I'd wake up the next day and I'd be like, what, what, where am I? Um, but then I started taking it. Before I knew it, then it was, that's all I took. Um, wow. I mean, when I went out to nightclubs, I'd take over drugs and stuff like that. But then it got to the point where I just stopped going out. Um, I stopped going to nightclubs and getting ketty um, because I could do it at home and watch a movie. Um, and like I used to think that I was in films that I used to watch. Like, I used to watch like, Lord of the Rings. And every time I'd watch it, it was a different fucking film. And I felt like I was in it. And it's like, from a, an hallucinogenic sort of trippy state, I used to enjoy it. And, and on top of that, it just used to shut my mind up. But then really rapidly, it, it like ketamine really, like a lot of people will refer to it as re regretting me, um, which, which I never sort of understood. Now I fully understand. 
Um, but you know, it like it destroys it absolutely destroys your mental health, like like all drugs. But the thing yeah. is, we can't, it it, it make, it's a downer. So like, I was already, I, you know, I already had all these underlying deep issues that I'd not resolved. And I felt, I felt like ketamine would just shut all that up, but it didn't. And then I started using it and then I'd be arguing with myself constantly. And then I'd be sort of like trying to analyze the past and blame people for my addiction. And, and you know, it's like, I, I blamed everyone else apart from the fact that it was me that was fucking going and buying drugs. It was me that was taking drugs. Now, that's not to say that I didn't experience things that, that led to, to having an addiction, but ultimately it was, you know, it was me that was, was getting drugs. No one forced them down my throat. Um, or up my nose, um, but yeah, it's like ketamine. Ketamine, by the way, is a massive drug, um, massive, especially in the UK. And um, so it is used in. Like, if you listen to like techno music, a lot of people or deep house and all that, a lot of people will take ketamine in nightclubs or even at parties. Um, and it, I think it is a massive growing epidemic. Um, but because people don't talk about addiction, because people don't talk about um, because people don't talk about what it is that they're doing. Not a lot of people, I'd go to hospital and I'd know more about ketamine than the doctors that were, you know, I knew from, from talking to other ketamine addicts and from going online and joining all these forums and, and doing all this research that, that I realized that I knew more than a trained doctor and it's probably getting paid God knows how much a year. And I was telling him, you know, ketamine destroys your bladder, it sticks to the lining of your bladder, it heals. It, what it does is it stops your body from um, contracting and expanding. So, like, when I was really, really ill, and um, I when I've lost loads of weight, like, I had um, an anal prolapse, which is disgusting on her, but I was constantly, and <laughs> um, I had, like, I was dying. I was, I was, without being too graphic, but I was literally, like, pissing the lining of my bladder out. I was passing urine, like, in my urine, there was blood. And regardless of that, the amount of pain, like, but I wake up every morning, I do this little gratitude mantra, and I am so fucking grateful for like being able to put my head down on a pillar at night and sleep and wake up without, like I used to literally spend, and this isn't even a word of a lie, like I would spend most of my day in the bath or on the toilet or like peeing in a towel on the floor because I couldn't even stand up at one point. Um, and, that, and that used to make me, it made me fucking insane. Like it made me crazy because I was peeing and the amount of pain, it's like cystitis if you've ever had like a kidney stone or um, cystitis and it, it burns like nothing. And um, I kind of think of it, have you ever seen the Green Mile where Tom Hanks has got trouble peeing? And he yeah, 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 yeah. That's what, it was like that, but times a million. So I'd be rushed into hospital screaming and people thought that I'd, I'd, I was stabbed. And really I was just trying to pee and I couldn't pee. And I had to have cameras up my penis, which was a, um, a weird experience. <laughs> um, and like, you know, people like with ketamine, it, I talk to loads of people now that, that reach out for help and stuff. And, and it is specifically ketamine. And it really damages not just your mental health, but your body. And like, the repercussions of doing that are, are, are extremely serious. And, like, like, it's no joke, like, I nearly lost my life. Um, and I was, I was told that I had to have my bladder re uh, removed. So I don't have like a colostrophy, a colostrophy bag. Um, wow. You know, and that's not... And how know, old you, were you when you were told that? Uh, only 
just before I went into rehab, so wow. like two years, nearly two years ago. Um, and, and I'd have like, I, I had all the medication from the doctors. I had like cameras up every single orifice and down every orifice you can imagine. And the doctors were just saying, just stop taking care. Stop taking care. Now, as an addict, you know, you know, that's the fucking last thing you want to do because subconsciously ketamine used to take away, because it's an anesthetic, so it used to take away the pain, but it would come yep. back a hundred times worse. Um, and the fact that I was a fucking raging drug addict meant that, you know, I was taking ketamine all the time regardless anyway. So yep. I but I'm working with, I'm due when I'm allowed to, to go into school because of COVID, but I, I'm, like, I've had schools um, like recently, like in Manchester and Glasgow as well, um, contact me and they want me to specifically work with their children because they're, they're taking care of me at school. Wow. Like, that's, that's fucking mental. Um, that's mental. Um, you know, and there's obviously a reason why they're doing that. I don't think they're taking drugs because they think it's cool. Not ultimately. You know, there might be, there might be a lot of peer pressuring or, or, or whatever to, to choose drugs, but I think ultimately, I think if you use drugs to the extent that you and I or other addicts use, I always think that we've got some deep underlying issues, which is, you know, surrounding issues as to why you're using. But ketamine isn't, I think people think it's cool. Like the whole culture of, of drug taking, people think it's cool. And, you know, a lot of addicts, unfortunately, are functioning addicts. But it's like, I used to have a, a high-powered job, you know, fancy job title, great career. Um, and if I went into the, I worked from home for a lot of my career, but if I went into an office, and I was on site somewhere or something like that, and I'd speak to a colleague, and I'd be like, oh, God, you look a bit tired or whatever, and it's a Tuesday morning. They'd be like, oh, I drank three bottles of wine last night. I feel a bit rough. And I, if I turned around and said, oh, I sniffed three and a half gram of ketamine last night, they'd be like, <laughs> you've got a drug problem. Like, you know, and it's, it's like, it's, you know, you don't talk about, and the thing is, like, drugs on the whole, any other drug apart, I mean, like, alcohol is a drug. If, if anything, alcohol kills more people than the rest of the fucking drugs put together. And if, if we were to recategorize, um, you know, the, the drug spectrum, alcohol would be a class A drug, but because it's legal and because it's also deemed as taking the edge off life, it's acceptable. But, like, people don't talk about drugs. And it's like, could you imagine if, if when, you had, when you was working in your previous career or whatever, you went to work and you went, oh, Feel a bit rough to, today. I, I sniffed four gram of coke last night, and you know they'd be like, "Well, you've got a problem." But if you said, <laughs> "I drank three glasses of wine or a bottle of wine," they'd be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I did that." You know, it's not. We don't because of the stigma that's attached to drugs. We don't talk about it. We, we don't. Yeah. And I, you know, I think I think if people were really open and honest, you would find that. Um, I think a lot more people actually suffer with addiction than than what people think or what people realize. I mean, there was a thing in the, I don't know if it was like in Australia, but there was a thing in the, in the news not long ago, a couple of weeks ago, a week or two ago, um, and there was a suggestion that um, they make drug testing compulsory um, for all work employees. So everybody got at some point drug tested. And there was uproar. Like there was, I saw it on social media. There was a lot of backlash. Um, I think it's like Sir Alan Sugar tweeting something about it, like in a positive aspect, and he got slaughtered online for it. And, you know, and it was like, there's only one reason why people are scared of that. It's because they're doing fucking drugs. Like, you know, <laughs> you're not scared of it. And like, 
as daft as this sound, given my, my career and stuff, I used to get drug tested. Um, but I didn't get drug tested for ketamine. So I knew, and I think that's what kind of, you know, I think that's what kind of concreted the idea in my mind of, of I'm just going to use ketamine. Because it, it, I never, like, even in rehab, it may sound stupid, but I never, got, I never got tested. I was in treatment for um, 13, 14 months. Not once did I get tested for ketamine. 100%. Which is um, but I know I'm not doing drugs, you know, and it'd be quite obvious if I was, but especially with ketamine. But like, you know, the only, when I was in rehab, the only reason that I had, you know, the only reason I stopped taking drugs was because I wanted to stop taking drugs. I didn't have any incentive of, oh, I might fail a drugs test because I never yeah. got tested for ketamine. So, and it is quite, um, it's quite a, I wouldn't say it's rare. I just don't think, I think it's on the rise um, massively. And, um, you know, like the people that I work with, kids are taking more and more ketamine. Um, and it's, you know, it's dangerous. Like, all drugs are dangerous, but like for a 13 year old or a 12 year old to be doing ketamine, like I've never, until, until I started working with kids and stuff, I never heard of that. I, and I think even me as a raging drug addict, I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> the other day I went to Rio, but like just to give you an extent of how bad I was on ketamine, um, I sniffed, and I, I'm not doing this to like show off or anything, but just to show how fucked up I was. I sniffed 35 gram on the day I went to Rio. <laughs> oh my God. That was, that was from three o'clock on the Sunday, uh, sorry, three o'clock on the Thursday. And I got to Rio at half 10 Friday morning. So I did a lot. Like, you know, that's a lot. And I traveled to Glasgow on my own on, I think, six different trains. And I was, you know, I had a massive bag of ketamine. And, and it was like the last sort of, I didn't enjoy it because I'd, I'd take it and I'd be like, I hated it. I hated taking it, but I couldn't stop. And yeah. but you do tend to have that little blowout when you know that you're never going to take it again, whether it's, you know, whether it's like a, a weird sort of romantic thing that you have with the drug or whether it's the fact that you fucking just need it because you're a drug addict. I don't know, but yeah, like, you know, it's, yeah, for me, the substance isn't important either. It doesn't matter whether it's, you know, it could be pornography or it could be fucking ketamine. It could be crack. It could be smack. It could mm. be chocolate. It doesn't, the addiction, again, and this is where I talk about the somatics of, um, of addiction not really being important, but you know, it, it, to a certain degree it might be, but only in how you treat it. But you know, it, doesn't matter if you're whether it's if it's porn you know if you're creating havoc and chaos in your family life because you've got porn addiction or whether it's ketamine it doesn't really matter but i mean ketamine will probably quit, kill you quicker <laughs> than a porn addiction so but yeah it's you know it, it is i think young people think ketamine is quite a cool drug and it is glamorized and um, but it's not it's a it's a, it's a mugs game you know like all drugs um, yep. and yeah so interesting very very interesting and it just yeah again it sounds like you went right down to the bottom of the barrel and really you know yeah. push the push the limits with what you can do with it so yeah. so so mate it's a pretty amazing story and just the you know the stuff that you're doing now is awesome and just to be so um i guess grounded in you know, um, your kind of philosophy of like wanting to help people and particularly young people and stuff like that. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, so like 
I know it's a bit of a cliche sort of question, but like just to kind of wrap up, what would you tell people that are, that are just sort of thinking about dipping their toe in the water to making some change or they're early yeah. on making change and, you know, they're not sure about everything? Like, yeah, what do you tell people? What do you say to them? So for me, the, the first thing, and this is, this is why I do agree with certain aspects and, and principles of the 12 step. So like, you have to accept that you're a drug addict because until you accept that, you know, your life is completely fucked, you can't really do nothing about it and you don't really want to do anything about it. Um, for me, I, I, like, I work with a lot of people that, you know, I'm trying to help and stuff. And a lot of them, they're not, you know, some people want all the answers and it's like, when am I going to stop taking drugs? And it, it, don't think about all of that, right? The main thing, the priority for you to do is, is to, to do it now. So if you're thinking about trying to stop taking drugs, I, I hear a lot of people putting it like, I used to do it. I'm, I'm sure probably at some point you maybe did it as well. Like we always put it off. Oh, yeah. you know, I'll, yeah. I'll just buy another gram or I'll buy another ounce or kilo or whatever you're sniffing. And it's like, you know, I'll, that'll, that'll be it. And I used to say to myself time and time and time and time and time again, this is my last time. You know, this is the last gram I'm going to buy or the last, last eighth or quarter or whatever. Um, and it, it never was, you know, that you need to take action. It's great that if people are thinking about getting into recovery, um, but, you know, there's, there's nothing like, you only have this present moment. You know, the past is the past. The future's not fucking happened. If you carry on taking drugs, chances are you're probably not going to have a long future anyway or, a, or a, you know, a, a meaningful, loving future. So the only, you know, you need to do it now. And for me, like, Getting clean was like the hardest thing, one of the hardest things that I've ever done. But um, in hindsight, it is, you know, it's the most empowering and loving, self-loving thing that I'll, I'll ever do because my entire life now evolves around my recovery. Because of my recovery, like, uh, like I get emotional saying this, but like, you know, my mum's got her son back. My brothers have got their big fucking old annoying brother back. <laughs> which <sometimes laughs> Um, you know, my, my niece and my nephew, I've got a, a beautiful, um, gorgeous niece, a gorgeous nephew. And unfortunately, like, my nephew saw me fucked. And I hate, like, all my family saw me fucked. Everyone saw me fucked. But, you know, my, like, young people, especially children, they're like sponges, you know. They, they know. Like, my, my nephew will have known that I was struggling um, because they can sense it. Um, but thankfully, my niece, who was born during my recovery, um, She's never going to see her uncle fucked. She's never going to have to not rely on, you know, I'm never going to say to my niece, I'm going to pick her up and take her somewhere. I'll do something with her and not turn up. Unfortunately, my nephew had that sometimes. My family had that. Um, I think as an addict, if you're suffering, and for those of you that are suffering, the biggest, one of the biggest factors for my recovery was you're not just hurting yourself. Like I used to just think that, oh, it's me that's pissing my bladder out. It's me that's in hospital fucking weeks at a time. It's me that's having to have my bladder replaced. It's me that's trying to kill myself. And it's, you know, you are, yeah, but you're hurting the people that love you. Um, you're destroying your family's life. And, and it's selfish and, you know, addiction makes you an incredibly selfish person. Um, but you're not, you're not just suffering, you're not suffering alone and you're certainly not just hurting yourself. And, you know, you, you're destroying your family. And, and for me, that was, you know, that was a huge catalyst in, in that sort of self-awareness and um, realising that, 
you know, the consequences of my actions aren't just affecting me anymore. It's fucking destroying my mum. It's destroying my brothers. It's destroying my sister. It's destroying my niece. Um, no, my nephew, not my niece. She wasn't born then. But, you know, it's like it destroys the people that love and care about you. And you might think that all these arguments that are created around your addiction, or you might think that, you know, you might be in a relationship with your girlfriend or your partner, or your boyfriend, whatever is, is telling you to stop taking drugs. And you might fucking hate them for it. But the reason why they're telling you to do that is because they fucking love you. Um, because they care about you more than what you do. Um, and that's quite sad, you know. When, you, when you're using drugs to the extent that we are as addicts, you don't give a fuck about yourself. You don't give a fuck about anybody. Despite you thinking that your moral compass might be intact, you're not. Um, it makes you incredibly selfish. Um, it makes you an incredibly selfish individual. And you are. You, you are hurting the people that, that love and care for you. Um, and, you know, and you might not have, you know, I don't know how long people's addictions last. They might die from it. The chances are they probably will. Um, you know, you deserve it to yourself to get better and to build those relationships back up and to live a meaningful and purposeful life. Um, and the only way you're going to do that is by acting now, not, oh, I'll do it next week or I'll phone a counsellor tomorrow or, you know, get off your fucking ass and do it. That's what I did, you know, and, and it is difficult to get help. I'm, I'm not going to lie, that's why I'm a huge advocate for recovery and, and for trying to help people to, to step into the, the crazy pond of recovery. Um, and it's like, do it now. Don't, you know... Don't fuck about and say, I'm going to do it tomorrow, I'm going to do it next week, or, or don't even compare yourself to me, like, or you were like, don't look at my picture and go, I'm not six stone, you know, yeah. I've got a, and I used to be like, like, I've got a successful career, I, I live in a, a stunning apartment in the Peak District, I've got, you know, a, a, a nice car, I've got all this money, I've got this and I've got that, and it's like, none of that matters, you know, it doesn't, yeah. because it's only a matter of time before you lose everything, and you will, like, you know, there's there's only one way that addiction is going to take you, and that's to an early grave. And you need to do it, and you need to do it now. Don't don't talk about it. Don't be ashamed either. You know, there's millions, billions of people. Like one in three people, apparently, um, according to the NHS, one in three people suffer with an addiction, some form of addiction. So you know, that's like I don't know, it was like two and a half billion people on the planet or something, or whatever yeah. it was. So you know, you're not alone. You're really not alone. Um, and you might think that all these issues are just your issues and it's only you that's going for it, but you're not. You know, there's billions of people out there that are suffering just like you that have also got clean. Um, and, you know, and there's, there's plenty of people that, you know, you need to do it now. And that, that's my best piece of advice. Don't, don't fuck about. Don't wait. Don't think you're that bad of an addict. Do it. You know, if, if you're already contemplating the fact that you've got a problem, chances are you've already got a problem and the chances are probably a lot worse than what you're saying as well. Um, so take action, get off your ass and go and seek help. Don't be scared, don't think you're gonna lose your job. Reach out and ask for help because it'll be the, it'll be the greatest thing you'll ever do in your life. Um, and you know, my life is, you know, life is hard sometimes, but I'm building relationships back up with the people in my life that I love and cherish. And you know, the, if that's what, you know, people always talk about what, what's the purpose of life. and you know, I think life is to build those relationships, to have a life where it's meaningful and you have people that you love and care about. I mean, that's that's worth more than, than money or having a fucking a Porsche or, I mean, I won't mind a Porsche. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, you know, there's, there's more important things to life, like having decent morals and values as opposed to chasing materialistic objects. Um, 
So get off your ass and do it. <laughs> I'll be my best advice. Love it, man. Hey, it's actually been an awesome uh, conversation. I'm already oh, excited you. to kind of have you on another time. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I love it. I'm going to put the um, Lad Bible interview in the show notes so that people can watch that. But do you have yeah. another place where people can find you, like a website or anything like that? No, no, yeah. Um, and I should really... Um, I will be having a, a business website when it's all official and stuff, but because of COVID, um, it's causing havoc at the minute. But it's all right. You know, it gives me plenty of time to reflect on other, issue, on other issues and stuff that I need to get resolved there. Um, but yeah, um, Twitter, probably Twitter is where I'm more sort of um, recovery. I mean, add me on Instagram. I'll, I'll send you my, my, my links to my, my social media. But like I get, I get, I've had thousands of people message me on on instagram on twitter on facebook um and that's that's your best you know if you if you do want to reach out please don't think that you're gonna you know you're not gonna piss me off you're not gonna it's not embarrassing don't be ashamed or feel guilty for asking for help you know asking for help is you know is a big thing and um, you know it, it takes a brave person to to ask for help and um, you know and, it, and it's good you know it's I, I get connection from helping people and i get connection from trying to to understand what other people are suffering with. And, um, you know, it helps me and it helps them. Um, so just don't be, please, if, if you watch the video, I'll send you the, the YouTube link um, to the Lab Bible stuff if, you, if you've not got it. Um, but I'll send you like, my social um, media links as well. And yeah, if anybody wants to talk to me or, you know, if they want to connect, connect with you as well, like it doesn't matter who it is that you talk to. As long as you talk to someone else that, that's probably been through an addiction, then, you know, you can learn from anybody, you know, and you can learn from all people. And, and that's the greatest thing about recovery. It's not just one, there's not just one way of, of getting clean. There's fucking millions of ways. Yeah. Um, and you can learn as stupid as someone might be or sound or whatever. You, there's always a lesson to be learned in every, every single thing that we do. So yeah, don't be afraid to reach out for help and, and just take that. <laughs> it's kind of like a cliche, but take that first step. <laughs> A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Hey man, I love it. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, and enjoy the rest of your day. I think it's what about oh, yeah. 10 or nine 30 or something there. So, yeah, um, nine, so I can get on and yeah, start doing what I need to do to it's a bit of DIY. So yeah. <laughs> beautiful man. Beautiful. Hey, uh, yeah, it's an absolute thanks, pleasure. Thank you.